Cross Point Peachtree City, along with all who may be joining in with us from elsewhere, whether it be lawn or live stream. Thanks for bringing the church into this space, this assembly of God's people. If we haven't met yet, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastors of our church, the guy, as I also say each and every week, that gets the privilege of opening up the scriptures and unpacking them for us as we've come together. Speaking of the scriptures, uh, if you are not aware, if you're new to the, the last maybe six weeks or so of our church, we're currently in the heart of a sermon series entitled Songs of Ascent which is basically a study of a 15-song a album within the book of Psalms, the hymn book of the Old Testament, you might say. It's an album that the Israelites made their playlist in traveling to Jerusalem several times a year for the major feasts and festivals. It's a playlist that continues to bear significance in the lives of God's people today as we travel down this rugged road of discipleship. We were even talking before the service and some things were coming up as we were looking at the imagery of this morning's psalm that I had not even included in my sermon notes because that's what the psalms do. They, they birth a broad application of sorts that, that comes to bear in our lives in so many unique ways. And so you'll, you'll get some, uh, some snippets, some after credit stuff in the benediction this morning in light of even some things that came up uh, pre-service this morning. As I mentioned from the beginning of this series, this is, this is a series, this is a portion of the Bible that captures the, the fullness of the human condition, the fullness of the human experience with its incredibly honest lyrics. It invites us to cry out to God with, with the full range of human emotions, whether they be joy, lament, thanksgiving, gratitude, etc., reminding us of, of who we are, reminding us of where we're going. We're disciples of Jesus. We're on our way to this celestial city of God where fallenness will be no more, where brokenness will be no more, where sinfulness will be no more. And our song will be one of eternal unified thanks and praise to the glory of God forever. If you have a Bible, I invite you to go ahead and open up to Psalm 125. That's where we'll be this morning. Uh, if you don't, own a Bible, if you don't have a Bible on you, you can go to that same digital connect guide where the lyrics were accessible and you'll see a clickable link for Psalm 125. You can track with the passage if you go there. Um, just below the song lyrics link is a link for sermon slides. So if you're a visual learner and would like to see what would typically be up on the screen behind me if we were in the auditorium, you're welcome to, to go there and to follow along with quotes and um, portions of this morning's passage and, and other passages of scripture outside of Psalm 125 as we're working our way through this morning. Let me, uh, let me go ahead and pray for us and we'll jump in and we'll get into this morning's passage. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning asking you to, to minister to the weakness of our understanding, to illumine to us your, your word that we might walk away with a deeper grasp of divine truth and not that, that which would then sit in the realm of intellectual ascent forever, but rather would make its way deep into our hearts. So that I invite you to convict us of indwelling sin by your spirit this morning. I invite you to encourage us to faith where we need it. As you attend the preaching of your word in power, as you love to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I, I want to start off this morning before we jump into verse one by, by framing this a bit and saying that I, I think it's safe to say that, that we all have our insecurities. Some of us 
daily swimming in a sea of them. Some of those insecurities individual in nature as we wrestle perhaps with what we see when we look in the mirror. Perhaps wonder what others see when they look at us, when they consider us. As we deal with the the many uncertainties that life can very quickly bring, whether it be questions of job stability, financial security, health concerns, and on and on we could go. Other insecurities, a little more societal in nature as we attempt to navigate the the various crises unfolding around us in our cultural moment, be it the, the uncharted territory of living through a pandemic or the swirling waters of racial unrest or the questions of what to make of the next six weeks or so leading into an election. All of those things strategically weaponized by slippery politicians and media outlets in an effort to sway the various constituencies so that we're we're faced with a litany of things that, that have the potential to leave us incredibly insecure, making it difficult oftentimes to remain grounded. Some of us choose to respond by perhaps ignoring the concerns altogether pushing them to the the peripheral edges of our thinking, maybe even pretending that they don't exist at all. Others of us hide our insecurities behind a wall of arrogance, our defense mechanisms functioning as, as a security system of sorts. And still others of us look to things other than God for the hope of lasting security. We talk about that one a lot, right? That language of functional saviors, building our own fortress of safety in whatever way we deem best, leveraging any and all rescuers that we can grab hold of to help us get there. Most of us, if we're honest, myself included, are a mix of every one of those responses at, at some point along the way well aware that that none of them have the ability to truly give us the lasting security that we long for in the face of troubles that would seek to rattle us otherwise. Psalm 125, it's a song of confidence. It's a song of true lasting security. A declaration that, that trusting in the Lord is the right response for those who long for something of a grounded unshakability. A declaration that remaining faithful to the Lord is worth it when temptation comes our way to turn elsewhere that he's the the only true, lasting, strong tower. That those who trust in him are the strongest of the strong because their strength is not their own, but rather his. If you pick up in verse one of Psalm 125, the psalmist says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. The the image that, that these lyrics paint, it's one of a city surrounded by mountains of safety. Right, in ancient times, there was no better place to be, militarily speaking, than encamped behind a wall of encircling mountains. It's what makes Jerusalem such a prime piece of real estate. We know that that the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, they sit a little higher than the city herself. The Mount of Olives would be one example of that. So that you have this, this towering wall of surrounding protection and shelter, a city fortified. The psalmist declares in beautiful poetic fashion that that's the position of those who trust in the Lord. That they are like Mount Zion. Mount Zion being more than just a hill, it's a symbol of God's help. 
It's a symbol of God's presence and blessing and protecting his people. It's a, a symbol of the privileges of being one of God's covenant people. It's an imagery that shows up elsewhere in the book of Psalms. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Or Psalm 139, 5 you, O Lord, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand, your hand upon me. That the Lord surrounds his people on all sides so that nothing can happen to us apart from his decreed will, and his decreed will in the lives of his people is always for our good, amen? That, that when we trust in this God who surrounds his people, the psalmist declares that we stand among the immovable, not meaning the stubborn or bullheaded, but rather the humbly unshakable and steady. Like one who stands on Mount Zion, looking out on the grandeur of the surrounding sheltering mountains. He goes on to say in verse 3, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Alright, notice that, that verse 3 begins with the word for which can also be translated because. Here, here we get the reason for why we can stand with unshakable trust as we look out on those surrounding mountains of God's shelter. It's because, verse three, God will not allow wickedness to reign forever for the sake of his people. It's hard to know the exact historical context in which this psalm was written, as it is with many of the psalms, giving us space for a number of possibilities so that some scholars argue that the psalmist is declaring the Lord's commitment to protecting the city from evil beyond her walls, outside of those mountains, from foreign occupation by wicked kings like Nebuchadnezzar. Other scholars argue that the psalmist is declaring the Lord's commitment to protecting the city from evil within her walls, from the destructive reign of, of evil Judean kings, that like Psalm 122, we know that these lyrics are, are found wanting to some extent on the basis of Israel's hard and happy history. Right, the scepter associated with the Davidic throne, we know that that scepter passed through the hands of men like Ahaz and Manasseh who committed their lives to evil, idolatrous practices. So that this is a pilgrim song that, that must to some degree look beyond itself to a greater land of allotment and a greater king. The, the author of Hebrews would go on to give us something of a fulfillment of the imagery associated with this psalm in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 saying, But of the Son, Jesus Christ, he, the Father, says this, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your scepter of uprightness, there's the language, is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. That we need look no further than the gospel accounts to know that Jesus has been coronated, anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism now ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high, the righteous eternal king of a righteous eternal kingdom. To him belongs the throne. To him belongs the scepter. It's in Christ that, that we can know a present deliverance from the kingdom of evil and the scepter of wickedness, to use that verse three language. Which is why Paul would say in Colossians 1.14, 
He has delivered us, God has, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That in Christ we've been declared righteous and we've been given the indwelling Holy Spirit to help us to not, verse three, stretch out our hands to do wrong. Which is why Paul would say elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 13 and 14, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, Paul says, flee from idolatry. The, the, the psalmist acknowledges that evil in the land, and aren't we surrounded by it, can tempt God's people to throw up their hands to reach their breaking point, to give themselves over to sin. But the gospel declares, hallelujah, that evil will not win in the hearts of God's beloved, that he will hold his people fast to the end. It's that kind of assurance that gives us the confidence to pray like the psalmist as he closes out this great song in verses four and five with these words. He says, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. I love how, um, how the psalmist's belief in the, the towering strength and safety of God, it doesn't lead to a cold prayer life. You notice that? But rather to a crying out to the Lord to do what he promises to do. The psalmist here pleads with the Lord to vindicate his righteous reputation, blessing the righteous, punishing the wicked, which is an incredibly dangerous prayer to pray apart from the hope of the coming Messiah, right? As we all stand among the evildoers on the basis of our own merits. None of us righteous, Paul says, Romans 3.23. All of us having sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserving the consequence that our sin brings upon ourselves, uh, upon ourselves to come back to the language of verse five. Banishment from the great city of God, from Mount Zion. As the apostle John declares, Revelation 21.27, John says, but nothing unclean will ever enter that city, that eternal city, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb that John speaks of there, none other than the righteous King who holds the scepter himself, Jesus Christ. Having made a way where there was no way, as we talk about each and every week, the cross of Jesus Christ being where the mercy and justice of God collide as God is able to vindicate his righteous reputation by punishing Jesus for our sin that we, wonder of wonders, coming back to verse four, <clears throat> might be counted among those who are good. Unbelievable. Among the, <clears throat> those who are upright in their hearts. That if you're not a Christian, I invite you to, to marvel at the mercy, grace, and love of God in Jesus Christ. The innocent one slain for guilty sinners. That we might know the joy of a restored relationship with the living God. I invite you to, to turn to Jesus this morning with nothing more than your sin and the empty hands of faith to cry out to him for salvation, to bow down to him as king, as the one who truly does hold the only scepter of eternal righteousness.
And if you are a Christian, we talked about this imagery before in this series because the imagery overlaps in a, a number of Psalms throughout the book of Psalms. You've been made a citizen of a new kingdom, Christian, under the righteous reign of a new king, a king who shed his blood in order to unite us to himself, bearing our sin so that we might be robed in his dignity, so that we might be robed in his righteousness, so that we might be counted among the upright in heart. Not only is he worthy of our praise and adoration, he's worthy of our loyalty. He's worthy of our devotion. This life, something of a, of a dress rehearsal for the marriage supper of the lamb to come, that one day we will be presented to the king like a bride on her wedding day, welcomed into the heavenly Zion, forever surrounded by the mountains of God's safety and shelter. A place of forever peace, the final fulfillment of the benediction with which this psalm ends. A city in which the scepter of righteousness will forever rest. No handing off the baton to new leadership. Firmly in the hands, that scepter of the only worthy, righteous, eternal king. That kind of final and ultimate fulfillment of the imagery with a psalm like this, with a pilgrim song like this, it's meant to fan into flame a deeper love and, and devotion to the king. Willem Van Gemeren, and yes, you heard me right, not William, Willem. It's gotta be a good quote. He says this, he says, the, the Zion theology eschatology, that last word meaning end times thinking, inspires God's people with adoration, joy, hope, and commitment to the great king. The Zion theology inspires them with a vision of the kingdom to come. This vision is the ground, he says, for ethics, how we live now. Eschatological ethics, end times ethics, he says, holds out the promise of life and joy flowing from Yahweh's presence to all who prepare themselves for the full establishment of his kingdom on earth. Though his kingdom is here, God's people expect a dramatic transformation. The godly, he says, are those who live and act in anticipation of that vision of Zion. To sum up, what he uses big words to say. As citizens of the city of the great king, Psalm 48.2, the heavenly Zion, we're called to live in accordance with the standards of that glorious kingdom right now. Going back to Psalm 122, we, we've been given the privilege of showing the world what peace and flourishing truly are. A countercultural city on a hill, a place of safety and refuge in the midst of a world of peril a beacon of steadiness in a sea of people being tossed to and fro by the waves of uncertainty. This pilgrim song inviting us to, to stop pretending that the concerns of life don't exist, to stop hiding our insecurities by, behind a wall of arrogance, to stop looking to things other than God for the hope of lasting safety and security, to, to in essence, to double down with the psalmist in declaring that trusting in the Lord is truly the right response for those who long for something of a grounded unshakability. To declare with the psalmist that remaining faithful to the Lord is truly worth it when temptation comes our way. Trusting that the Lord will do good to those who are good, verse four, to those who refuse to bow to the scepter of wickedness when the scepter of righteousness belongs to our king. 
Those who trust in the Lord, the psalmist says, are like Mount Zion, immovable, steady, resolute, among the truly and eternally safe and secure. Our lives and destiny built on the only true unshakable foundation, Jesus Christ himself, the cornerstone. I'll leave you with a quote this morning from Eugene Peterson in his informal commentary on these 15 Psalms that we're looking at right now. He simply says this. He says, living as a Christian is not walking a tightrope without a safety net high above a breathless crowd, many of whom would like nothing better than the morbid thrill of seeing you fall. No, living as a Christian, he says, is sitting secure in a fortress. That's what Psalm 125 declares. So that I invite you this morning to simply do this, to look out on the, the grandeur of the encircling mountains, the surrounding sheltering presence of the Lord our God. He will hold his people fast. He will hem them in behind and before those who trust in him, truly immovable because he will not let them be moved.